Hey, Crime Salad listeners, we are back. Crime Salad Podcast is now in full swing. And in case you were wondering, we ended the year in true 2020 fashion. On Christmas Day, our son had a sled riding accident and we ended up spending the entire week in the hospital. And we even welcomed the new year as a family in our hospital room. Basically, a tree branch went through his knee and punctured his joint. The wound then got infected and it spread into his bone and up his leg. However, we had a great team of doctors who were absolutely amazing. And so we made it home and he's getting better every day. A lot of you had reached out hoping for our son to have a fast recovery and it really touched our hearts. Thank you so much. And we didn't get to wish you all a happy new year. So with that being said, we hope you all have an amazing 2021. So anyways, for most of us, the holiday season has come and gone, and we're starting with our first episode of 2021 with some leftover festivities. In more typical years than what we've all experienced in 2020, the holiday seasons mean families are gathering, gifts are exchanged, and for some, it's the most joyous time of the year. Well, on Christmas Eve 2008, Joseph, also known as Papa Joe Ortega, and his wife Alicia were hosting a festive holiday party for their children and grandchildren at their home in Covina, Florida. When they opened the front door that night while the party was well underway to a man wearing a Santa Claus costume and holding a large gift wrap package, they had no idea the devastation that would ensue when that man opened fire on the unsuspecting family. The Ortega family was a close-knit group and they loved spending the holidays together. Joseph and Alicia had been married for 53 years and together they had five children, two sons, James and Charles, and three daughters, Leticia, Alicia, and Sylvia. Sylvia was a cheerful woman, a hard worker who had dealt with her fair share of tragedy. When she was in her early 20s, her husband and the father of two of her children was killed in a car crash in Arizona. It wasn't until many years later that she got remarried to George Orza and had a daughter with him in 2002. After two more years together, George and Sylvia decided to divorce and George moved away to Oklahoma. After their divorce, Sylvia met Bruce Pardo, a single man living alone in the suburbs of Los Angeles. She had three children to care for, and it seemed like the perfect husband and stepfather. They were married on January 29, 2009. According to their neighbors, Bruce was always very kind and sociable. The Pardo family would attend church together in Montrose, California. For the Christmas season, Bruce would decorate the house with lights, a tree, the works. Bruce worked as an electrical engineer and made over $100,000 a year, while Sylvia worked as an administrative assistant at a flower breeding company in El Monte. But after two years together, the relationship began to turn sour. In court documents, Sylvia said that Bruce had withdrawn over $70,000 from their shared savings account over the course of two months and that life at home with him had become untenable. It would later come to light that perhaps one of the reasons that Sylvia and Bruce's marriage ended so quickly and bitterly was that she had found out about a previous relationship he had with a woman named Elena Lucano. 
Bruce was the father of Elena's nine-year-old son, Matthew. Though Bruce hadn't seen his son in many years, he was claiming him as a dependent to get a break on taxes. In addition, Matthew was severely brain damaged after he had fallen into a pool as a child on Bruce's watch in 2001. Matthew's daily medical care was extremely expensive, but Bruce was not willing to pay. After Elena sued him for support, money was eventually put into a trust for Matthew's long-term care, but outside of claiming him for tax purposes, Bruce didn't want anything to do with his son. When Sylvia finally told Bruce that she wanted a divorce, the relationship became even more fraught. Bruce demanded that she moved out of their shared house since the deed was in his name. She offered to pay rent and her share of the utilities if her and her five-year-old daughter, who Bruce also cared for, could stay at their home just for a few more months so that she can finish kindergarten. But Bruce refused. Later, when Sylvia was away at an event with her family, Bruce moved all of her furniture and belongings out into the driveway. In court, Bruce claimed that this was only because he was rearranging the living room, but given their previous conversation, it seems clear that this wasn't his real motive. After this incident, Sylvia and her daughter moved into a spare room at her sister's home nearby and continued to push forward with her divorce. No longer fighting over the house, Bruce and Sylvia began to argue over money. Since Bruce made considerably more than Sylvia, a judge ordered him to pay a little over $3,000 in spousal support. A month later, Bruce was fired from his electrical engineering job without any severance pay and unable to qualify for unemployment. An electrical company he ran on the side was also failing. He asked the judge, Rather than paying his soon-to-be ex-wife, she should be paying to support him. He claimed that she had bought a new luxury car, had been dining out, taking vacations, and was living the life of someone with means. With this, in the final days of their divorce proceedings, and only a week before Christmas Eve, the judge ruled that Bruce would keep his home, and that Sylvia would get the family dog, could keep her diamond wedding rings, and would receive a $10,000 payment from Bruce. After months of back and forth and vicious arguing, the messy divorce was finally settled on December 18th, 2008. With his divorce finalized a few days prior, Bruce volunteered to serve as an usher at the Holy Redeemer Catholic Church on Christmas Eve in Montrose, something that he often assisted with in the church throughout the year. His neighbor, Patrick Guzman, remembered Bruce waving to him and happily wishing him a Merry Christmas as he was working in his yard that day. Bruce never showed up for his ushering job at the church that evening. Sylvia, having switched back to her maiden name of Ortega and severed ties with Bruce Pardo, was celebrating Christmas with her family in Covina. In the neighborhood, the Ortega family was well-known and liked. They were known for always having big get-togethers at their house, and Christmas was no exception. Being one of five children, and her siblings married and having children of their own, about 25 of her family members had arrived at her parents' home for a Christmas Eve party. After a fun night, Joseph and Alicia, Sylvia's parents, were playing cards at the kitchen table with their daughters and daughters-in-law. Some of their grandchildren were playing outside, while the rest were by the TV playing video games. The more distant family members had moved outside and were preparing to head home for the night. 
In previous years, one of the Ortega's neighbors would come over dressed up as Santa Claus to bring some holiday cheer for the many grandchildren that were there. It was one of their favorite traditions. But this year, that neighbor had moved away, and the Ortega family wasn't planning on having anyone dress up to play Santa. Given all that we know now, we can assume that it was because of this tradition that when someone in a Santa Claus costume showed up that night, no one questioned why he was there or stopped him before he got to the front door, despite so many people being out front. It was Christmas after all, and it seemed like part of the tradition. It was around 11.30 p.m. when the man dressed up in a Santa suit walked past those in the driveway towards the front door, holding something gift-wrapped. He knocked on the front door, and an eight-year-old girl, a daughter of one of the Ortega siblings, answered the door, cheerfully shouting, It's Santa! It's Santa! As she opened the door, the Santa took out one of the four hidden handguns and shot her in the face. As chaos erupted, he moved inside, shooting anyone who saw or didn't have a chance to react to get out of his path. Later, reports shared that family members recognized the man with the guns. They shouted, It's Bruce! After shooting as many people as he could reach, Bruce revealed that in the wrapped package he had brought with him was a homemade flamethrower. He doused the room in jet fuel using a device with pressurized tanks and gas. He lit the house on fire with a loud explosion, leaving those who had managed to survive the gunfire still alive inside. One neighbor reported seeing massive black clouds of smoke come from the house in large flames. Those who managed to get out of the house were fleeing down the streets or attempting to climb over neighboring walls to safety, including one girl who had been shot in the back. Another neighbor shared that she saw a young woman who had jumped from a second-story window to escape the fire, breaking her ankle in the fall. Neighbors and those who had safely made it out of the Ortega house away from Bruce Pardo's murderous rampage called 911. By the time the police and fire department arrived, the flames had reached 40 to 50 feet. Initially, firefighters were told to stay back out of fear that the shooter could still be armed and inside. But after witness reports that Bruce had removed the Santa suit and driven away, they were able to start working to put out the flames. It took 100 firefighters and over an hour and a half to get the fire under control and out. By this time, it was 1.30 in the morning. Once they were able to get inside the house, they quickly noticed at least three bodies. But given how badly everything was burned and that the second floor had collapsed onto the first, it would take investigators all day to truly know how many lives were lost in the attack. With witnesses confirming it was Bruce Pardo who was responsible for the havoc and devastation at the Ortega house, police quickly began searching for him, uncertain of how many others he intended to harm during his violent rampage. Around 3.30 in the morning, police were called to Bruce's brother's house in Silmar, some 40 or so miles away from the Ortega house. Bruce's brother Brad had returned home to find a rented Dodge Caliber car in his driveway. Inside on his couch was Bruce in a pool of blood, dead from a single gunshot wound to the head. Strapped to his body with plastic cling wrap was $17,000 in cash. Hidden in his shoe was a printed ticket for a flight with Northwest Airlines to Moline, Illinois. Bruce had been badly burned when he set the Ortega house on fire. 
He had second and third degree burns across his arms and legs, and in some places the Santa suit he had been wearing had melted to his skin. Police assumed that because of the extensive burns, Bruce decided to abandon his original plan to flee the city and took his own life instead. When police went to investigate further into a rental car parked in Brad Pardo's driveway, they discovered that it had been rigged with 300 rounds of ammunition and a pipe bomb to explode if the Santa suit was removed from the car. A bomb squad attempted to disarm it, but was unsuccessful. Luckily, when it went off, no one was injured in the blast. A second car rented by Bruce was found in Glendale, near the home of Sylvia's divorce attorney. This car was loaded with water, food, clothing, a can of gasoline, a computer, and a map of Mexico. Finding the second car led investigators to believe that Bruce had intended to harm more than just the Ortega family. They hypothesized that after murdering Sylvia and her family, he planned on attacking her attorney before fleeing the country. They also learned that Bruce's mother, who was close to Sylvia, was supposed to attend the Christmas party at the Ortega house that night. Bruce felt that his mother had sided against him during their divorce. She had started to feel sick that night and ended up staying home on Christmas Eve, keeping her out of her son's murderous path. Without Bruce alive to explain his motive and plan, investigators began to dig into Bruce's actions over the last few months. They found that Bruce had been taking steps to fulfill his terrible plans since June of 2008, only two months after learning that Sylvia wanted a divorce, and over six months before Christmas Eve. In June, he paid $1,000 in cash to buy a 9mm handgun from a small shop in Burbank. They learned that Bruce was fired at the end of July from his job as an engineer for billing clients for fraudulent hours. He returned to buy a second gun only a week after losing his job. California law requires customers can only buy one firearm every 30 days, and Bruce returned in September, October, and November to buy a third, fourth, and fifth handgun. In early September, Bruce put in a request for a custom-made Santa Claus outfit from a local costume shop. Already a relatively tall, large man at 6 foot 4 and 275 pounds, he asked for it to have extra space. Also, during this time, Bruce went to visit a high school friend in Iowa. While there, he purchased 16 handgun magazines with 18 bullets. By Thanksgiving, Bruce had everything he needed to complete his deadly plan. Despite knowing how many lives he was planning on taking, no one seemed to notice any change in Bruce's demeanor. He hung up Christmas lights at his house, he was cheerful with neighbors, continued to volunteer at church, and he kept up with friends. Investigators determined that it was Bruce's devastation from his divorce and intense anger at Sylvia that motivated him to commit such heinous acts. It took days for rescuers to search through the rubble of the Ortega house to determine just how many people were killed during Bruce's massacre on Christmas Eve. Given the extreme fire, dental records and x-rays had to be used to identify the remains that were found. In total, nine members of the Ortega family lost their lives that night. 
Sylvia Ortega, 43 years old and Bruce's primary target, was killed with a gunshot wound. Her mother and father, Alicia and Joseph, were also killed by gunshot wounds. Sylvia's brothers, Charles and James, and their wives, Sherry and Teresa, were also killed by a combination of gunshot wounds and the fire. Witnesses reported that even after being shot, Charles and James still managed to get up and tried to take down Bruce and protect others. Sylvia's sister, Alicia, was also found among the dead bodies inside the house. Bruce's final victim was Michael Andre Ortiz, the son of Alicia and Sylvia's nephew. He was only 17 years old. At the time of Bruce's arrival at the house, he had been upstairs on the computer. Unable to get out of the house after the intense explosion of flame, he died in the fire. Between Sylvia and her siblings' deaths, at least 13 children were left orphaned after Bruce's attack on Christmas Eve. Of the Ortega siblings, only Letitia, Joseph, and Alicia's youngest daughter was spared. It was Letitia's eight-year-old daughter, Katrina, that Bruce callously shot in the face when she opened the front door. Though seriously injured, her daughter fortunately survived. Rather than holding onto any anger, Letitia had focused on the future and healing. In the years following the murder of her parents, sibling, and nephew, she has spoken with other survivors of mass shootings and encourages them to focus on love, positivity, and moving forward. Letitia also adopted one of her nieces who had lost both of her parents that night. Katrina, now in college, has used her experience to attest to the need for gun control, speaking at protests and making viral videos. Bruce's mother, Nancy Windsor, who Bruce also intended to kill that horrible night, shared that she remains close with the remaining members of the Ortega family. Despite feeling as if they had every reason to hate her, Nancy made sure that all of the money and remaining assets from Bruce would be left to her grandchildren, Sylvia's, and her siblings' children. In the months following the massacre, the surviving members of the Ortega family struggled to find normalcy. Besides coping with so much loss, Alicia's ex-husband and daughters were facing a legal dispute with Alicia's leasing agency for her apartment. They were demanding that they pay rent and fees for Alicia's broken lease. When the public heard about their insensitive and egregious push for money, the leasing agency backpedaled and dropped the claims. In 2010, the lot where the Ortega's house used to stand went on the market for sale. With their parents gone, the property had been inherited by the Ortega grandchildren. With so much structural damage from the fire Bruce started and the horrible events that took place there, the house was demolished. Though the land is in a desirable area of California, there wasn't much interest in anyone buying the lot. In the 12 years since Bruce arrived at the house, the Ortega family still gathers on Christmas. While this time once was joyous and full of celebration, it now marks the tragic anniversary of the murder of nine members of their family. It's hard to believe that even the wholesome traditions of Christmas could be part of a twisted murder. Although this completes the case of the Covina Massacre, here at Crime Salad, we wish you a very safe 2021. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.